invite you to turn in your Bibles this evening. We're going to actually look at two passages. Uh, we're going to look at Proverbs chapter 27. We're going to start there. And then after a few moments of that, we're going to look at Job chapter 5. So you can look at those two passages, Proverbs 27 and Job chapter 5. I've been reading. I, I try my, my personal goal in reading. I, I like to read books and... Um, I probably, my wife probably thinks I have too many, <laughs> but nonetheless, I, I enjoy it, enjoy having them around me, enjoy reading as the Lord gives me time. I have a personal goal, and I have for years, of reading a book a month. Usually, I, I pass that easily, but I try to do at least that minimum of that. Uh, the book, I'm, and I'm just about done with it now, but it's um, one of my favorite authors is A.W. Tozer. Uh, if you've ever read Tozer's uh, Pursuit of God, Pursuit of Man, uh, Born After Midnight. There's a lot of books that he The Knowledge of the Holy is probably my favorite of his, his books. And this is a book that um, actually was given to me by um, Pastor Ken Prophet, again, who pastored back in the Plymouth days and then uh, was my pastor, my teenagers. He gave me this book years ago, and it's called Man, the Dwelling Place of God. And um, if you know anything about Tozer, he usually writes fairly short chapters, maybe just a, a couple pages, but uh, what tremendous depth and thought and what a blessing. So what I'm sharing with you is a little bit of his thoughts mixed in with some others as well. But it, it was a, a chapter that really just, um, I don't know, just spoke to me very pr- profoundly in, in a special way. And I thank, thank God for using people like A.W. Tozer to influence really generations uh, in the faith. So, uh, so anyways, I give credit to, to Tozer for writing this and to... Um, I'm not preaching his sermon per se, but just sharing some of the thoughts that he shared in here. I think that's very appropriate. So the title of this is called Three Faithful Wounds. Three Faithful Wounds. And so this is based on a sermon by A.W. Tozer back in 1953 in Chicago. He was speaking at a convention there. And uh, a powerful message that was presented, and I just want to share a few thoughts for that. And so if you want, you know, can look at Tozer later in his book. But anyway, starting with this verse in uh, Proverbs 27 and verse 6. Proverbs 27 verse 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Pretty powerful uh, uh, verse and the book of Proverbs, a lot of book of wisdom, practicality, especially in the latter chapters of Proverbs, there's a lot of, um, uh, I guess, different sayings, different comparisons going on. It's kind of the, the structure of, of Proverbs in that way. Uh, and, and here you have a, a contrast, faithful the wounds of a friend versus the kisses of an enemy. And so kind of the idea of that. And so as we think about this, um, if you've ever been wounded um, you know, there's an old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Well, as you grow up, you learn that's not exactly true. Um, but the type of wounds that we receive um, that hurt the most probably are those that are caused by, by words. But faithful are the wounds of a friend. So this isn't someone who's a friend of yours that's physically trying to attack you and beat you up. Uh, maybe you have that type of friend, you know, <laughs> but, uh, but anyways, this is kind of what we're talking about, though, is kind of like the, the words or the approach, maybe the advice that is given. But when we talk about the wounds of a friend here, we are talking here about really, uh, it's not to um, inflict damage per se, but it's really to, in love, uh, to basically keep that relationship true, keep it faithful. 
uh, keep it constant. Um, I like what uh, Dave Gutzik says about this, that a mark of a true friend is that they will be willing to wound us with loving correction. The correction may not feel good as genuine wounds, but it will be an expression of love and faithfulness of a friend. When you have someone maybe who, uh, maybe you're about to make a decision and the other friend jumps in and says, you know, that's probably not the smartest thing to do. Um, or they might say, that, that was just, just wrong. You shouldn't have done that. You know, sometimes we, we, maybe we uh, um, knocks us off a little bit of our feet, per se, per se, maybe mentally. But when it's done out of love, I think this is the idea, that the wounds of a friend are actually bound in love. So that's the idea. So faithful, or it's, it's true, it's tested. And, but versus the kisses of an enemy. They're, they're willing to be, you know, be your friend, but allow you to, or basically uh, being deceitful about it, or uh, basically they conceal really their true motive, which is hatred. They really don't, they're not really loving you, they're really hating you by doing that. Nonetheless, that's kind of the, what Solomon is here writing. Okay? Uh, another talk about wounds here, and this is from another commentator, that the wounds here are a metaphor for the painful and plain words that must be spoken in a true friendship in order to heal the beloved or to restore a broken relationship. And so when we think of those wounds, a lot of times we think of wounds that are caused by others. Those that say things that are maybe not fun to hear, but maybe are nonetheless important. Uh, and we should, as Christians, and hopefully as mature Christians, we, sh- we should receive that and, and take it with grace. Uh, nonetheless, uh, it's never fun, though, when that happens, but nonetheless, take it in grace. But the question is, and this is kind of going to Tozer's uh, chapter that he wrote here, is this, who exactly gives the wounds? Sometimes God uses other, other people. Maybe it's a, a preacher, an evangelist, someone who maybe preaches the Word of God, and he's like, man, that stepped on my toes today. <laughs> you know, I think we've all been there at some point, and, and if we've listened to the, enough sermons, hopefully, hopefully that has happened to us, and hopefully enough to convict us of our sin and turn to God. But while others may provide wounds, and this is quoting Tozer now, it is God himself who brings us closer to him. And so this is the idea. It's the wounds of a friend, if you really think about it. It's not just your, your buddy, someone you get along with. It's really, these are the wounds that God brings into our life. We are wounded by God. And so this is where I want you to go now to the book of Job. Job chapter 5. Job chapter 5. Two verses here. Verse is uh, 17 and 18. Job chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. And we won't get into the, everything that's going on here, but we know Job and his sufferings. All right, if you know anything about Job, he suffered greatly. Uh, talk about someone who was wounded, quite literally, but also he was wounded by, I would say, his friends were more deceitful in some aspects. They were trying to get after him. Here's Eliphaz, one of his three friends, if you will. Uh, that basically is speaking. But nonetheless, what he says is true. It's, it's worth our noting. And that's in uh, chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. It says, Behold, happy is the man whom God correcteth. Therefore, despise not the chastening of the Almighty. We'll stop there. We know that there are other passages in the Bible, later on even in Hebrews and others, that we, we talk about the chastening of God, whom the Lord loves, he chasteneth as a son. And so we know that God does do that, but... Uh, sometimes we miss the purpose of that. He does that, number one, we are his children. That implies relationship, okay? So when you are chastened by God, that implies that you are his child, okay? And he is simply bringing you back to himself, all right? I don't chasten or I don't 
punish my neighbor's kids, even though they might need it, okay? <laughs> That's not my role, not my responsibility. I don't have that relationship with him, whereas us as God's children, he does that. Now, this is the verse I want us to pay attention to in verse 18. For he, for God maketh sore and bindeth up. He woundeth and he maketh his hands or his hands make whole. So this is the idea. For God maketh sore, he bindeth up, he woundeth. God is the one who causes the wounds when you think about it. That's really a profound thing when we talk about that chastisement. Is, is God purposely trying to injure us? Well, it's interesting. We're going to talk about some examples here in just a moment where I guess you could kind of say, yes. He does. He does allow sometimes that to happen. Now, now, every time we go through a calamity, every time we go through suffering in our lives, whether it be a physical ailment or getting laid off for work, whatever we th- think of suffering, um, it, th- does that always mean that we, are, uh, we have sinned? No, it, it doesn't. Um, but I think God still uses those things to draw us to himself. And so, again, the, the title of this is Three Faithful Wounds. This is from a, uh, in what Tozer mentions here in this book, he mentions a, uh, a person named Lady Julian of Norwich uh, from England back in the Middle Ages. So this is back in the, I think in the early 1400s. Uh, this lady actually was around during the, the Black Death. Uh, and so she, a little interesting story about her, but nonetheless, he, he quotes her. And uh, she had written this back in the Middle Ages. And she prayed, this was her prayer. Oh God, give, please give me three wounds. A wound of contrition, and the wound of compassion, and the wounding of a longing after God. I ask this without condition, Father, to do what I ask, and then send me the bill. Anything that it costs me is all right with me. Wow. This is, again, someone from 600 years ago or more, who has basically said, Lord, give me wounds. Wound me of contrition, compassion, and the longing after God. So we'll kind of break that down. Uh, one thing I want to say, going back to Tozer, he qu- says in this book, quote, All great Christians have been wounded souls. When we face the battle, uh, when we face a battle, our self-assurance is quickly challenged. When we have an encounter with God, we are changed and even wounded. So think of that. When we encounter God and his presence in a deep way, sometimes we do receive a wounding. And, and kind of his illustration he used is that when the best of soldiers, the bravest of soldiers go into battle, and it's one thing to brag and even going jokingly and how we're men and women, we're tough and we can handle anything that comes our way. You probably heard those you know, ones who brag and all that. But when they, find, when they get to the actual firefights, different in boot camp than you are on the front lines, okay? Big difference. You get to the front lines and all of a sudden, uh, John, you can probably attest to this, you get to the real deal and all of a sudden the bravest of men are quivering in their boots. <laughs> okay? And that's the, that's the difference that we have here. And so when we face the real battle, our self-assurance is quickly challenged. And so how do we toughen up? And that's by wounding. God wounds us. It's something that we don't really consider, but I want us to explore this. So let's talk briefly a few examples of God's wounding in the Bible. There were times, there are people that God, in a sense, wounded in in their encounter with him. For example, uh, Jacob. Jacob wrestled with God and uh, with the angel, and what happens? He ends up walking with a limp the rest of his life. Okay? Uh, Jacob was 
literally wounded. <laughs> okay, and but what happened? His name was changed. Your name is now Israel, and it really set him on a different path. Obviously, this Job, we're in the book of Job right now. Job received countless wounds. He lost basically everything. His family, possessions, everything. And then, according with his three friends, and then another friend that, or someone who decided to come along the way, give him countless wounds, uh, maybe um, uh, as we think about that. But at the very end, what does Job do? He encounters God. Job, where were you when I created the world? The foundations of the world. And, and so Job encounters God, but Job received countless wounds. We think of Elijah, who um, he goes on the, we know that Mount Carmel to fight against the uh, prophets of Baal. Of course, God is victorious there. Then all of a sudden Jezebel says, okay, off with his head, let's go get him. And he runs for his life. We know that he eventually gets to Horeb and he's there basically sulking. And, and what does God say? God encounters him there and he says, Job, what doest thou here? What are you doing here, Job? And he says, basically, I'm the only one left. He says, woe is me. And in a sense, in that time, God wounded him and set him on a new path. We think of Isaiah, who encountered God in the temple in Isaiah chapter 6, as he sees the, the holiness of the Lord. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The earth is full of his glory. And what does he say? Woe is me, for I am undone. And how was he wounded? An angel came, took a coal off the altar, and touched his lips. He was wounded in his encounter with God. And it changed Isaiah's perspective. In the New Testament, there's probably others we can think of. Another classic example, I think, is the Apostle Paul, where he mentions in 2 Corinthians that uh, he had a thorn in the flesh. He asked God three times to remove that. We don't know exactly what that was. There's a lot of different theories out there. But nonetheless, it was something that at least it mentally sidetracked him or, or bothered him, and he asked God to remove it. And what does God say? He says, my grace is sufficient for you. He encountered God in that thing. And what does Paul say? My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather glory in my infirmities that the power of God may rest upon me. So Paul literally was wounded in that way in his encounter with God. So each of these examples, and we can think of others, they were, actually, in each of these cases, they were kind of physically wounded in their encounter with God. And God used that wounding in their life to draw them closer to himself. Was it necessarily because of sin? Well, no, not necessarily. But God used these things to draw him to, your, to himself. So let's talk about, very quickly tonight, the three wounds that was mentioned by Lady Julian. Uh, first of all is the wound of contrition that was mentioned. And this, what is contrition? It's really remorse or penitent. It's a, it's a penitent heart or remorseful heart. Uh, according to International Bible Encyclopedia, a contrite heart is one in which the natural pride of self-sufficiency have been completely humbled by the consciousness of guilt. Basically, you're, it's like a balloon, and you, you poke it, and all of a sudden the air goes all out. That's what happens, and the contrary heart does exactly that. I think it's interesting, the Hebrew word, or an even Greek word, that are, where we get the word contrite, means crushed, crippled, or broken. That's exactly what describes these men earlier that we talked about. To be contrite is basically to be crushed, have a crushed heart in that. So another thing, too, is that contrition, it modifies, it changes the heart. It gives us a picture of a conscience that's been crushed by the weight of its own guilt. It's like Isaiah said, woe is me, I am undone. It's like the, the publican says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's a contrite heart. That's David, after he had sinned, have mercy on me, O God. According to thy loving kindness. 
And what this is, contrition is linked with repentance. Repentance here, uh, when we talk about repentance, and this is important, important in, for someone to be saved, important in, in our lives even, report, repentance is really changing in a 180. You're going in one direction, all of a sudden you're turning in a, in a different direction. But it's, sometimes people think repentance, that's really a change of mind. And that, that is it, part of it, is to have a change of mind in that. We've heard um, uh, Renee's testimony. In repentance, you literally had a, a 180 in your life and your mind. From one end, you're looking all of a sudden at God's end. And what a difference that makes. Praise God for that. Uh, let me share with what Tozer says about that. He mentions in this chapter that repentance more than a change of mind. He says, quote, No man has truly repented until his sin has wounded him near to death. Until the wound has broken him and defeated him and taken all the fight and self-assurance out of him and sees himself as the one who nailed his Savior on the tree. I tell you what, that's not easy to read. <laughs> it's not easy to, to apply, but that's the matter is, is that are we so grieved over our sin that held him on the cross, that he died in our place? You know, when we realize how sinful we really are, You know what, that does take this whole self-assurance, like we're not as big as we once was. We're not that brave soldier on the, on the front line as we thought we were. So this is important. These are the, the one faithful wound is the wound of contrition. Again, as uh, Psalm 51 says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Let me read you a quote from uh, John Gill, a good commentator. He says, this is one that is humbled under a sense of sin, has true repentance for it, is smitten, is wounded, and broken by it by the word of God in the hand of the Spirit, which is a hammer to break the rock in pieces. That's God's word right there, his Spirit. And that not merely in legal, or, or, but in an evangelical way, in a gospel way, grieving for sin as committed against God, a God of love broken and melted down under the sense of it in a view of pardoning grace and mourning for it while beholding a pierced and wounded Savior. The sacrifices of such a broken heart and a contrite spirit are the sacrifices God desires, approves, accepts of, and delights in. Wow. God loves when people come to him in true repentance saying, I am unworthy. Woe is me, God. Use me. The book of Isaiah, chapter 57, verse 15 says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and revive the heart of the contrite ones. God loves when we come to him in true humility like that. Self is out the window <laughs> when that happens. Praise God. So that is the wound of contrition. That's a wound that we definitely need to have as we approach God and get to know him. That's this prayer of this lady. The second wound, is she mentions, is the wound of compassion. The wound of compassion is having an emotional identification. Uh, of course, compassion, is, this is perfected in Jesus Christ. The ultimate person of compassion was that. We talked this morning about the Good Samaritan, who is a great illustration of that uh, un, uh, lavish mercies that were, was poured out. And so this is exactly who Jesus Christ is. And so what does it mean to have the wound of compassion? As Tozer says, this is one who has the wound, the one who has the wound of compassion suffers along with other people. And I like what Paul says in Romans 12, we are called to rejoice with them that rejoice. 
and weep with them that weep. We are called to do that. Jesus Christ suffered for us, showing his compassion, but we as the body of the Christ, his church, also we suffer. And when we suffer, we do it with compassion for others, compassion for the lost, compassion for the needy, compassion for the broken, compassion with them that rejoice and with them that weep. This is what binds us together. This is the wound of compassion. This is an emotional identification. God, give us the wound of compassion that will never leave us. Okay? Uh, there's a song that uh, we like hearing once in a while. It's uh, actually from the Martins, and it's called Heal the Wounds But Leave the Scars. Heal the Wounds But Leave the Scars. God gives us wounds, and they leave scars. And this is something that should be reminders of the grace of God in our life. That draws him. The last wound that was mentioned, three wounds, wound of contrition, wound of compassion, and the third wound is a wound of longing after God, basically being desperate for God. This is more than just getting information to God. There's a lot of people out there who know about God. They could give you a few facts, maybe even know a verse or two, maybe have gone to church or something in their life. A lot of people have a lot of information about God, but they really don't know God. They really don't long passionately to do that. And so this is our challenge that we would know God and we would love him. As was mentioned, Lady Julian, who had given this prayer 600 years ago, her prayer was this, O oh God, that I may might want thee so badly that this becomes a wound in my heart that I can't get over. Is, it, is that a driving passion for us that we cannot get enough of God? We want to know him more and stronger. A great example of this is when Moses on Mount Sinai at Horeb saw the glory of God and he wanted to see more. God, show me your glory. And when God gave him grace, Moses wanted more grace. This should be our heart's desire as well. Going on with this thought, I like what Tozer says again in this book, in that chapter, that the man that has the most of God is the man who is seeking the most ardently for more of God. Let me say that again, very important. The man that has the most of God is a man who is seeking most ardently for more of God. Just because, man, yeah, I know God, we're close. I, someone who says that, I'll be honest with you, probably, that's probably more in their, in their imagination than anything. But like Moses and like these others who said, I can't wait, I want to know more about God, more about Jesus and knowing him personally. You know, you could have your famous celebrity, famous ball player, whoever you want to put out, famous celebrity, and you might know all the facts and figures about that person. But I got a question for you. Do you actually know them? Oh, yeah, I got an autograph from them once upon a time, a couple of years ago. Yeah, but they, would they pick you out of the crowd? Probably not, <laughs> okay? But the idea is this. Do we really know the God of gods and the King of kings as we think we do? Probably not. And that's our striving that we should know more and more about him. And so this is the idea. Do we have a restless thirst, a sacred and infinite desire for more of God? This is something, again, as we gather on Sundays and Wednesdays as well, having our corporate worship together, that we as a congregation should know God. Uh, Tozer says in, in The Knowledge of the Holy in his other book, said that what one thinks about God is the most important thing about them. How, what is God to you? Who is God? He should be our everything. Every fiber of being should be pointed to God, prayerfully seeking Him. Tozer, in, towards the end of that chapter, his sermon, if you will, he closes with a prayer. And I want to share that with you. He says, Father, give us a faithful and fatherly wound, 
wound us with a sense of our own sinful unworthiness that we never quite get over. Wound us, Father, with the sufferings of the world and the sorrows of the church. Wound us, Father, with a longing after God, a thirst, a sacred thirst and longing that will carry us toward to perfection to be complete in Thee. It reminds me of Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2. As the heart, as the deer panteth after the water brook, so my soul panteth after Thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Are we desiring God more than anything else in life? That should be our heart's desire. I close with actually Frederick Faber, who wrote several hymns, has a a poem that he wrote, God loves to be longed for. He loves to be sought. For he sought us himself with such longing and love. He died for desire of us. Marvelous thought. And he longs for us now to be with him above. God, it's, you know, one thing, it's one thing to say, man, I love God, I want more of him. But you know what? Something greater. God longs to have a relationship with you too. It's that the God of the universe wants me, little old me. Some people say, man, I, I'm in big shout, look what I've done for God. Yeah, of course he wants me. But you know what? As Isaiah, as Job, as Elijah, even as Paul said, you know what? God, use my wounding to draw me to yourself. May God give us three faithful wounds that draw him, us to him, that we would be faithful. And yes, we have the wounds. God would heal the wounds, but would he leave the scars that we'd have a, a present reminder of what God has done in our lives?